as you know, many of you, we've broken up into a lot of different small groups in order to do this with, deepening our community within our church family and reaching out in love to the community around our church family. This is part of our year of going passionately, and so we're building on what we did last year, uh, enriching our caring community, and then at the same time on that foundation, we'll be reaching out into uh, Summit County uh, in the world in a lot of different ways over this next uh, ministry year. And we're doing it together. That's kind of the hallmark of this whole approach, because God says that He wants us to do life together. He wants us to move through life together, and that's because we're better together in a whole lot of different ways. We're stronger together, and we're going to see in our groups that we're more fruitful together when we go shoulder to shoulder. Now, sometimes it might not seem like it. It might even feel like we're worse together. In fact, we usually will be worse together at one time or another, sometimes on a regular basis, because iron sharpens iron. Things come out as we get to know each other. Whether you're talking about being together in a friendship, you know, or a marriage, uh, or a family, or a church, it's kind of like that saying, sometimes it does feel like, to, uh, to dwell above with saints we love, oh, that will be glory, but to dwell below with saints we know, well, that's another story. And uh, sometimes it is. And there are going to be disagreements. There's going to be selfishness and pride and uh, insecurity and resentment that, that surface when we start getting closer. Because it can also be harder together, to be perfectly honest, uh, and not just better. There are going to be differences and disagreements, divisions. The only people who agree on everything are dead people. Right? So if you're getting along in perfect harmony in your small group or your family or your marriage or your friendships, it means, one, either you're not being uh, honest or you're dead. Or some combination of the two. I've talked to so many people who've gone through a divorce, and looking back, they, they have no idea why it happened. In fact, just a couple of weeks ago, a couple that I married, uh, both in their late 50s, uh, I guess about six months ago, Almost without warning, at least it seemed, uh, four months later, she just walked out. What happened? And uh, it's, uh, it's like we're dumbfounded. Uh, why do these things happen? Or the breakup of a friendship or a small group? What really caused it to take place? Well, today I'd like to talk about that as we seek to deepen our community through 40 days of community. Every Sunday I'll be talking about one aspect of our community together or another, how to deepen our relationships, as well as on reaching out into the community. Why do these things happen? Well, it's not rocket science. If you look at the teaching of Scripture, you'll find that every relational problem boils down to one of four negative attitudes. One of four negative attitudes. Virtually every problem you can have in a relationship comes as a result of one or, or more of these four different problems. As I've titled this message, they're the four enemies of a caring community. Today I'd like to look at the four enemies of a caring community. Write them down. Selfishness, pride, insecurity, and resentment. It's all over the place in Scripture. Selfishness, 
pride, insecurity, and resentment. We're going to look at uh, these enemies and how to gain victory over each one of them today. And uh, what I'm going to talk about is going to be very simple. Some would say simplistic. I'm going to put the cookies on the very bottom shelf. Why? Well, uh, as I come to the final days of this fast that I'm on, that I mentioned last week, the 36th uh, of the 40th day, uh, it may... uh, my mind isn't, isn't uh, as clear as it oftentimes is, so we're not going to go deep. So enjoy it while you can. Um, I, uh, it, may, it may have looked like I've, I've bulked up a bit, but truth be told, I'm actually <laughs> I'm wearing five T-shirts to keep warm. And so, uh, so pray that along with generating some light up here, I generate some heat too. But I've got to admit that my mind and my body are are a little bit slow, though my spirit's never been clearer. So we won't be digging deep, just some very simple principles. Simple, short, short, uh, and sweet. First, selfishness. It's the number one enemy of relationships. It's the number one cause of conflict, the number one cause of arguments, the number one cause of divorce. Often it's the, the number one cause of war. When some dictator says, you know, I want to get what you've got, he starts a war. That's how it happens. James 4, 1 and 2 says this, What causes fights and quarrels? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but you don't get it. What causes quarrels and fights? Duh, is not rocket science. You want something, James says, he, uh, but you don't get it. It's very easy for selfishness to creep into our relationships. You've probably experienced that this week. When you started, when you start at a, at a relationship, you work you work real hard at being unselfish. Um, like when you're dating, you're very unselfish at the start of a relationship. But then as time goes on, it starts to creep in. Would you agree that we put more energy into building sometimes than into maintaining our relationships once we've got them, once we're married, once they're our friends? We do. One guy said, in the first year of my marriage, my wife used to bring me my slippers and the dog came barking. Now my dog brings me my slippers. It's so easy, you know, just to stop making the effort and just to slip slide away into selfishness. A couple of weeks ago, I got in bed and I was pretty tired and it was about three seconds before Julie got in bed. And as she got in three seconds later, she said, did you turn out the lights? Well, as I said, I was in bed three seconds, and I I was pretending to be sleeping. (laughs) You know, and so I'm lying, like, totally motionless. And I'm kind of whispering, and I whisper as as if I'm kind of in some sort of alpha state. You know, I said, no, I didn't turn out the light. So it was all I could do to get those words out, right? Much less sit up and get out of bed, all in three seconds. Well, she gets out of bed and she turns out the lights, and it was selfish. She was more tired than me. Pure and simple, selfishness. I want her to do it. We all know that selfishness 
um, in both little and small ways, especially as the little ways build up into big ways. Little ways become big ways when they accumulate over time. That's what breaks up marriages, little things. And we all know that selfishness can destroy relationships. We know this, so why don't we change? Or better yet, why can't we change? Why can't we be more unselfish, at least at first? Well, a couple of reasons. First, it's, it's, very, it's human, as they say, right? Human nature. It's very natural. It's human nature to be selfish. I don't think about you most of the time. I think about me. At least when I go on autopilot, which is easy to do a lot of the times. It's kind of like the cartoon. I, I forget the name of it, but this little cartoon character is talking about himself. And he goes on and 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 on. And then the last frame, it says, gee, Pookie, I'm tired of talking about me. You talk about me. <laughs> Selfishness. My needs, my interests, my hurts. How do I look? How do I feel? How am I coming across? How are you making me feel? How are you hurting me? But it's not only that we're naturally selfish. Everything in our culture feeds that selfishness, doesn't it? It feeds our self-centeredness. Every advertisement, it seems like sometimes, that comes out caters to self-centeredness, to my own pursuit of happiness. We hear things like, have it your way. Uh, we do it all for you. It's all about you. I've got to think about what's best for me. Remember the Sprite commercial a while back, Obey Your Thirst? If that isn't a juvenile attitude toward life, I don't know what is. It's a self-centered attitude. Obey your thirst. Think about that. It says, do whatever you, your urges tell you. Your selfish urges. Forget about it if it hurts anybody. Forget about it if it bothers anybody. You're just like an animal, so obey your urges. Obey your thirst. Live for yourself regardless of what it does to anybody else. It's very sophisticated, you know. What's done in Las Vegas, what's said in Las Vegas, what? Stays in Las Vegas. Do whatever selfish thing you want there. Indulge yourself. Forget about how it's going to affect your friends or your family or whatever once you get back home. So, how do you gain victory over this enemy, especially in a culture that reinforces it? Well, if selfishness uh, destroys relationships, the antidote is selflessness, of course. Again, it's not rocket science. Selflessness builds them, being unselfish. It means, at a very basic and rudimentary level, being a little... Uh, less for me and a little more for you. Start with the baby step. It means I think a little bit less of myself and a little bit more about you. It means I'm just going to get up out of bed and take two minutes to turn out the lights. A little bit less of myself. That is a big deal. So what marriages are made of or what breaks marriages? I'm not the whole center of the universe. I'm thinking about other people. Philippians 2.4, look out for one another's interests and not just your own. 
Selflessness is transformative to relationships rather than destructive, like selfishness is. It brings out the best in others. It brings the whole relationship to a higher plane when you take the initiative and click a couple lights out. When your spouse knows you're totally exhausted. It's huge. It also transforms the other person. I've seen it many, many times, and I'm sure you have too. I've seen the most unlovable, uh, the most unlikable people, irascible, cranky people that nobody wants to be around, and you start being selfless toward them. You start giving them what they need. You start, uh, you know, and not what they deserve. You start being selfless, and it can transform them into nicer people. And then you got this synergy going between you and them, and it lifts the relationship to a whole new plane. It transforms them when you show them selflessness and show them kindness. Galatians 6, 7, and 8, the message version. The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. Are you harvesting a crop of weeds in your relationships? The person who plants selfishness, ignoring the needs of others and ignoring God, harvests a crop of weeds. All he'll have to show for his life is a bunch of weeds. But the one who plants in response to God, letting God's Spirit do the growth work in him, harvests a crop of real life, of eternal life. This is a very important verse because it talks about this principle uh, of sowing and reaping. The, the, the universe is, is, re, is really built on it in a lot of ways. What, what you sow, you're going to reap. What you plant, you're going to reap. If you plant criticism, uh, people are going to be critical of you, and it's going to be downhill from there. If you plant affirmation, people will more likely affirm you. Whatever you sow in life, you're going to reap back. If you're jealous, people are going to be jealous back. And on and on. It says here three or four things. Verse it says it's a response to God when we do this, not to what others do. So it's not monkey feel, monkey do, monkey see, monkey do. It's, uh, yeah, uh, I see what they're doing, but I know what God wants. So it's a response to God. If you want to plant good seeds, plant in response to God. What does that mean? Well, when somebody is offensive to me, it's my nature to be offensive back to them, and so are you. He says, don't respond to that pettiness. Respond the way God would. Very basic principle. When you do what you're going to, when you do that, you're going to be unselfish. You're going to be selfless. You respond to God vertically, not to the attack that's coming horizontally. Then he says, God rewards selflessness. He says, you'll get real life and you'll get eternal life. Real relationships, relationships that are worthwhile. It's just like Christ said, only those who learn to give their lives away will ever know what it means to really live, to be better together. I believe the greatest lesson in life 
is learning to be unselfish. That's it. That's the number one lesson in life, learning to be unselfish. And it's so important that God, that it says here in Galatians, God will bless you when you do. Here's the second thing, in addition to selfishness, that destroys relationships. The second enemy to relationships is pride. Again, you'll see this all over the place uh, in the Bible. Pride shows up in a lot of destructive ways. It shows up first often in the form of criticism. If you're critical of other people. I know some husbands in this church who are that way toward their wives, and it's killing them. If you tend to be judgmental of other people, if you tend to look down at other people, if you tend to be picky, picky, a perfectionist, you've got a pride problem. Because you're putting yourselves above them. The reason, that's the reason you're critical. You've got a pride problem. And that destroys relationships. If you tend to be competitive and you're always comparing, you know, look at her dress compared to my dress or look at his car uh, compared to my car or you're always comparing salaries or you're comparing husbands or you're comparing children or, you know, titles or, or jobs, you got a pride problem. And that is deadly. That comparing spirit of always looking at everybody else and comparing and judging, P-R-I-D-E. If you're stubborn, if you find it difficult to say, I'm sorry, if you, if you kind of, you know, if you choke on apologies, you can't ever admit when you're wrong, you got a pride problem. And that's a real problem, because the Bible says this in Proverbs sixteen eighteen: Pride will destroy a person. A proud attitude leads to ruin. And bottom line, it leads to the ruin of the most precious thing in life, and that is our relationships with people in God's image. I love this verse in the message paraphrase. First pride, then the crash. <laughs> The bigger the ego, the harder the fall. If you had a hard fall, it just shows how big your ego was. And that's good, because that's that, what God will do to rescue us from that fifth deadly sin. Pride is the enemy of relationships. So what's the antidote? What's the victory over pride? Well, humility. Humility builds relationships. Humility is victory over pride. Listen to these five things that build relationships over in 1 Peter 3.8. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, be humble. Live in harmony, be sympathetic, love each other, have compassion, be humble. The first four are built on the last one, humility. And the result is the first one, that we live in harmony. Humility at the end, harmony at the beginning. That's what God wants. He doesn't want us to live... He, he doesn't want us, you know, to, to live in unison, right? Because we're all wonderfully different. He wants the harmony of us all being different. Harmony and humility go together. You can't have harmony without humility. It's kind of like a symphony. 
The beauty of a symphony is in, you know, is in the, the orchestrated variety of the instruments. If, if you have one flute player who wants to, you know, stand on the chair and play louder than anybody else, that kind of ruins the whole thing, doesn't it? If you have one person who's saying, notice me, by their spirit or their attitude or their words, and they won't let any other people get noticed, it ruins all the joy of the harmony, the deepness and the richness that God wants us to share together when we're better together. So humility, obviously, is the antidote to pride. The third enemy of relationships is insecurity. This is huge. Insecurity. The Bible talks about this in Proverbs 29, 25. The fear of human opinion disables. That's a relational term in the Hebrew. It disables. When I'm so insecure that all I think about is your opinion and what you think of me, that disables my relationship with you. And insecurity is based on fear, of course. So, what are we afraid of? What are we afraid of that hurts our relationships? Well, mostly two things. If you look at this biblically as well as psychologically and the literature... Uh, the first is we fear exposure. We fear that someone's going to find out what I'm really like. It's like John Powell wrote in his classic book, Why I Am Afraid to Tell You Who I Am. We fear that uh, somebody's going to find out what we're really like, and we fear that, so we hide ourselves. We don't want people to know what we're really really like. This is man's oldest fear, of course, and it goes all the way back to Adam, the first man. In Genesis 3.10, I was afraid because I was naked and so I hid. When we're afraid, we hide ourselves. We cover up. We wear masks. We pretend to be people that, that, that we're not. We fear... Uh, uh, we fear exposure. But there's an insecurity even deeper than that. And that is the fear of rejection. Rejection. This, this may be the deepest fear in human beings, the fear of being rejected. We've all been rejected at one point or another. I know I have. I know you have. None of us come out of, a, out of our family backgrounds, out of fallen relationships without some pretty deep wounds. We all carry them. And we, we know how much that hurts, so we fear it, and we close ourselves off and say, I'm never, I ain't never going to let anybody hurt me again. Oh, no. And so we build up walls. I think I call that an enemy of relationships. But as your pastor, I would beg you, please, please, don't let that harden your heart. Don't let it happen. Don't build up a wall, you know, this crust. Don't or put yourself in an eggshell. That, that is a self-imposed prison that you don't want to live in. Because you'll be wrapped up in the coffin of your own selfish protectiveness. And you'll go bad there. When you won't let anybody get close to you because, you know, I'm never going to let anybody hurt me again, you're making a terrible, terrible mistake. You're, you're not living. 
You're just existing. And it's my job as a pastor to help you and encourage you and to say, take the risk. Take the risk of loving again. Because if you will do that, if you'll open up your life and you'll lower the barriers and you'll let someone have the potential, yes, to hurt you again, you will come alive again in a way that you'll, you may never have experienced before. Ask God for the courage to take that risk again, to be open, to be vulnerable. Someone said the greatest loss in life is the love we would not give. The foolish prudence that fearing risk misses happiness as well. Is that you? The greatest loss in life is the love we would not give. The foolish prudence that fearing risk misses happiness as well. Insecurity. Fear destroys relationships. Well, if that's the case, what builds them? What's the antidote? How do you gain the victory? Well, it's, again, not rocket science. It's so simple that it seems simplistic. The answer to this is love. Love builds relationships. Charity counters insecurity. Turning outward is the only way to get through your fears. You must go into your fear or you will be always controlled by your fear. The Bible says in 1 John 4, 8, love has no fear because perfect love expels all fear. You want to expel the fear in your life? Get going with love. It shows that His love has been perfect. If we are afraid... It says, it shows that His love has not been perfected in us. How does that work? How does love expel all fear? Well, here's what it does. It takes the focus off you and puts the focus on them. That's how it makes the difference. How do we find that power to focus on other people, though? Well, love. Realize how much God loves you. Realize that He loves you more than you can ever imagine. The moment I begin to see how much God loves me, I don't have to prove myself anymore. I don't have to spend my life trying to impress other people because I already know that God loves me. So simple, but so foundational to everything. You know how freeing that is? You know how enjoyable it is to live this way? All of a sudden, my identity, myself, my worth, they're not caught up in what you're thinking about me that day. You might just be having a bad day. It might not be me at all. It might just be your baggage. In fact, usually it is just their baggage when we get all paranoid and get wrapped up in ourselves. I'm not pressured by everybody else's expectation anymore. And all of us want that. All of us want to live with that kind of confidence. And where do you get that kind of confidence? 1 John 4, 15-17. All who proclaim that Jesus is the Son of God have God living in them. We know how much God loves us, and we have put our trust in Him. God is love. And as we live in God, 
our love grows more and more perfect, so we will not be afraid. It's by love that you gain victory over insecurity, the third enemy of relationships. The fourth enemy of community is resentment. Resentment destroys relationships. Resentment will turn your heart into a desert that will dry you up emotionally. And it dries up the relationships around you. You don't have anything to give to anybody else. Your boyfriend, your husband, your, your girlfriend, your wife, your parents, your kids. You don't have anything to give because you're so stuck in the past you can't get on with the future, much less the present. It turns you into an island desert. On top of that, when you get resentful, you stop thinking clearly. The Bible says in Psalm 73, Since my heart was embittered, which means resentment, resentful, uh, since my heart was embittered and my soul was deeply wounded, I was stupid and could not understand. It makes you stupid and it keeps you from understanding. In other words, I, 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 when I was that way, the, the psalmist says, I didn't think straight. And I started exercising self-defeating behavior, relationship-destroying de- behavior. What's the antidote? Well, again, it's not rocket science. The antidote to resentment is forgiveness. Forgiveness builds relationships just like resentment tears them down. If you're going to have a long-term marriage that lasts your entire life, you're going to need massive doses of forgiveness. No matter how good your marriage is, massive doses of forgiveness. But it's true in every relationship. It's true that, like it says in Colossians 3.13, you must make allowance for each other's faults and forgive the person who offends you. Remember, the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. Forgiveness is, is not making excuses, you know, for the person who hurt you. They hurt you, and that was real. Forgiveness is not minimizing the hurt. It hurts. Forgiveness is not justifying what they did. It's not saying it was no big deal. It was a big deal. Forgiveness is not saying it wasn't wrong. It was wrong. Forgiveness is not saying that you trust them. No, they've got to earn it back. The issue of trust. But that's a whole other deal. So what is forgiveness? Well, forgiveness is one, letting go of the pain rather than murdering yourself on the inside again and again by letting it go over and over and over in your mind again and again. That's not good for you. You're doing to yourself over and again what they did to you once. That's dumb. Forgiveness is one, letting go of the pain, and two, letting go of my right to get even. Letting go, letting go of the pain and letting go of my right to get even. And it's in your best interest to do that because you're living in misery 
the longer you hold on to what's hurting you and the longer you hold on to who's hurting you. God says you've got to let it go. It's the only way to get on with life. Yeah, they don't deserve it. Did you deserve to be forgiven by God? No. But God did it anyway. Thank goodness. Out of His grace and kindness. Out of His love. Which, of course, is at the heart of all that we've been talking about today. It's the secret of victory over every enemy to our relationships. And that is love. Whether you're talking about selfishness or pride or insecurity or resentment. All of which brings such disharmony, which is the exact opposite of what God wants to see in our marriages and uh, in our families and in our churches. That's why Paul said, above all these things, Colossians 3.14, above and beyond, over the most important thing, above all these things, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. The, The perfect harmony of a caring community where truly, though it's sometimes harder, Over it all, we're better together. Such a community is the one true foundation for going passionately. Because very simply, they'll know we are Christians by our love. Father, I want to thank you for the simplicity and the profundity of your truth. And Father, I do pray that out of these very simple truths that come direct from your word, that you would have done something simple but deep in our hearts so that more and more in this coming year, out of love, we would come together in the kind of harmony that would beckon a needy world. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, speaking of love, this is our Benevolence Offering Sunday. So if the ushers would come forward. This is uh, one way where we do both of the things that we're we're focusing on through 40 Days of Community. We uh, collect money for the needy, both in our own body, as we love one another, as well as for those in the community, as we turn outward to love them. So please give generously.
Well, why don't we all stand? Now go into the world in peace. Have courage. Hold on to what is good. Honor all men. Strengthen the faint-hearted. Support the weak. Help the suffering. And share the gospel. Love and serve the Lord in the power of the Holy Spirit. And may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you all. Amen and amen. Have a great week. Thanks for coming.